Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories edition. In all of the installments of Pitbull Stories, I have special guests who share their stories of what it was like to um, acquire a Pitbull type dog, to live with a Pitbull type dog, and kind of share their experience of how they worked through some of those stigmas and how they advocate for the breed now. I've been the proud owner of two blocky headed dogs and our current blocky headed dog, Waylon, is an American Staffordshire Terrier, and I know what it feels like to experience some of the stigmas that the world wants to throw at you, and my intention with this series is to reassure all of you amazing blocky-headed owners that our beloved pit bulls are amazing, and we can play a huge role in advocating for the breed. So please enjoy these episodes, and if you'd like to be a guest on Pitbull Stories, please send me a DM over on the Instagram at a feeling underscore NCO. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories Edition. So guys, I have to tell you that um, our handsome guest and his mother are one of my favorite Instagram accounts. I'm going to tell you about that later. Um, It may be because they're kindred spirits, him and Waylon. But anyways, (laughs) Kate, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, my name is Kate and uh, my dog is Hank and he is handsome Hank. Um, He's got quite the personality on him and we're very excited to be here to just talk about pit bulls and all the things that are wonderful about him. Oh my God, we can just talk about one of our favorite subjects. It's the best, right? People like, is the podcast hard? I'm like, oh no, I just talked to amazing people about my favorite subject, so. Oh, I'm like, buckle up everybody. We're gonna be talking for like four hours. So I hope you're ready. (laughs) spoiler alert this is gonna be long no I'm just kidding okay so um okay so Kate tell us is was Hank your first blocky headed dog or were there blocky headed dogs before him he is not our first um my husband and I a couple years after we got married decided we were ready to have a dog um we visited some different shelters and rescue groups and unfortunately won't go down the whole rabbit hole but because we were young newly married renting all the things, um, it was hard to adopt. So we ended up buying our first dog, Boyd, from like a backyard breeder. Not my favorite thing about our history, but it is what it is. We all learned those lessons, right? Like learn from them. Yeah. Yeah. And Boyd was my soul pup. I loved him to pieces. He, we called him Boyd the brown dog because he was a total mutt. Like we did the DNA test and it came back all kinds of things. He had like bull mastiff, Amstaff, Dalmatian, super mutt mixture. So he was great. So whenever anyone asks, oh, what kind of dog is that? I'd be like a brown dog. Um, Super delightful mutt is what he is. Totally. (laughs) Um, We learned a lot from puppy raising him. And then unfortunately he passed at seven and a half years old, very suddenly. And it was horrible and heart-wrenching. After a because couple that months, that's not of like, long enough. Seven and a half no. years? No, that's no. not long enough. No. That. I wanted like 17. So I was like not prepared. Um, took a couple months to like sort of recover from that. And then we were ready for adoption. And we adopted Hank from It's a Pit Dog Rescue here in San Diego. They focused solely on blocky headed dogs. Um, by the time having Boyd for so long and him having some of like the pity attributes, we knew we liked these short haired, muscular little tanks of love and um we got Hank so that was a real fun fun part so the adoption experience was easier several years later yes I think partly time had passed so things changed um 
Also, I think we, at that point, owned our own home. We had already had a dog that, you know, we did everything for financially to try to save him. We, you know, gave him our all. He lived a great life going to work with me sometimes and just having a lot of fun. So it was a lot easier the second time around, which I think there's, I, I like credit so many adoption groups. They do such a wonderful job placing the right dogs with the right families. And it's really hard. They're invested in these dogs. So I understand the like holdup of not wanting to, you know, just necessarily adopt to anybody that seems a little bit green and new. But I also think there's a lot of people out there that want to adopt that there are some hurdles to go through. So it's all that to say, it was easier to adopt Hank. Um, they have a great process where most of their dogs are all in foster. And so you have to kind of work with the co adoption coordinators and see which dogs might be a good fit. And then you get to meet like three of them at a time because the fosters all bring them to one location. It's a lot of coordinating. I volunteer with them now. So I see like the behind the scenes. Um, Hank made our list mostly just from his personality that his foster mom posted. She actually had some videos of him hopping with like bubbles and it was like, this dog is just like a goofball. Like, and he wasn't like the looks that we really liked. Like he was a little bit bigger, you know, it was all these things, that, but he made the list, but it was like, we're definitely going to adopt one of these other two dogs. And then on that day we met them all and Hank's personality just won out. He's just like a super big love bug and really goofy. And so he came home with us. Oh my God. I love that you were able to see like an experience, like a super high functioning, efficient rescue, you know? And like, totally. I don't have all the answers. I'm not pretending that like, oh. I know, like, you know, the line to draw in the sand as far as like who you adopt to or who you don't, because I mean, seriously, you rescue people like kudos. It is not an easy thing, but I love that you had such a different experience the second time around. Definitely. And I think it, I mean, it's hard and you sometimes think it's the perfect placement and they return a dog three years later. And so you can never fully know what the right answer is, but yes, there are some really wonderful rescue groups here in San Diego that are doing things right and are, you know, really working hard to place dogs with the right families. God, that's amazing. Okay. So how old was he when he came to you guys? He was a little over two years old, roughly, we guess. So we are kind of at a point in our life, like we don't have children. We didn't plan to have children. We have time. I commit a lot of time to working with our previous dog and with whatever future dog we have. So it was like, we kind of want a dog that needed us the most. So we thought like young male blocky headed dog that, you know, is fully grown maturity, but had like no training really under his belt. Um, so we took that on. I will say it was not all easy. There were some tears along the way. Um, we're about four years in now though. And while I think we'll always be training and working on things, I think I've also gotten to a point where we just kind of enjoy every day because again, with losing our other dogs so early in his life that it's like, you don't know what's going to happen. And their lives are so short, even when they're a long life for a dog that I don't want to miss any of his silliness. And I mean, literally this dog just makes me laugh every day. There's something. So okay, I just have so, to enjoy that. Yeah. So everyone, I was telling Kate before we started recording that I'm just obsessed with watching Hank because he like does this like lizard hunting where he just is like pouncing and his little tail is flagging and he's like so intense. And I love how, I love how you just embrace who he is. And yes. I think that it's challenging, right? Like everyone listening that has a blocky headed male adolescent dog, like we hear you, we feel you. It is <laughs> not an easy thing. Like, you know, and I, I don't love labels, but they are, they have their own agenda, right? Their own mm -hmm. prerogative in a lot of ways. And that 
is very challenging, right? Especially yeah. when they're miniature bodybuilders and we're responsible for holding their leashes. <laughs> totally. And it's one of those, you know, I like to say everybody could own a pit bull, but I don't know that anymore. Like as I've grown in the time of like, Hank is an incredible athlete and thank goodness I am like young and strong and like wear a waist belt. So I'm at a good center of gravity. He's only pulled me down a couple times. Um, but it's, it's a lot, but I think again, through four years of working with him and like connecting with him, I don't want to change some of his just total silliness. Yeah. We, um, lovingly call them his lizard stomps because he'll get all four feet involved. Um, he likes to go to bushes and like kind of like stomp at them so that the lizards will run out. The funniest thing is he misses the lizards half the time. They run out and he doesn't even know. He's still standing there stomping, expecting them to come. And I'm like, dude, they're gone. Like they run around the corner. Um, so that's been fun. And then in the like recent year, since we started using a long line more, he does these gigantic hops that he um, just like hops into the bushes like a gazelle. Like he tucks his legs under and does these giant and sometimes like a double hop. It, again, it's just hilarious. And so we do what works and we keep him like managed and safe and let him have as much freedom as he can to enjoy life. Oh my God, that is beautiful. So was there any backstory on Hank before he came into the rescue? Um, unfortunately, we don't know much. He was at a um, shelter up north. I don't even know if he was like owner surrender or a stray. It didn't say it on his like intake form that we got. Um they loved him at the time. Mean, he like, he can be a very like submissive, even though he's a goofball. Like he, when he's like scared or unsure, he gets real small and has these giant big eyes that are just like a Disney character, adorable. And so that's like his picture is from the shelters. It's just like huge eyes and ears are flat back. Just like, oh God, I don't know what I'm doing here. So I think they just fell in love with him. So they networked him. Um, so it's the pits pulled him and got him in a sh into a foster home. Um, his foster, they'd had one other foster before Hank and they adopted that foster. So then he was like their foster that was like, we're not keeping this dog. Um, <laughs> they were amazing. They have like a little girl. So they kind of like made sure he was good around kids and with their two other pity dogs. And he just, I think he learned all his lizard stomping out there from his foster brother, Jet. So they have, we have videos of them like at the foster home, just like stomping in the bushes together. <laughs> so it's pretty hilarious, but they, it was great. And, you know, we applied to adopt him and his foster mom said she like cried all the way up to his appointment, but she knew like he's going home with his family. Like they're too perfect for him. Like there's not going to be another right family. And then we adopt him. We've stayed in touch, which is really nice because they're here in San Diego. And um, yeah, so He's just kind of a, a chill dude that we don't know much about. I joke he will get into anybody's car door that's open if we're just walking by. So he could have just like gotten out of a house and then somebody picked him up and took him to the shelter. We don't know. That's like one rendition of a speculation of a backstory. Right. Oh my yeah. God. And like, you know, I love, I love those stories of like this, this dog ended up at the shelter. Someone stepped up for him. Turns out loves dogs loves people good with kids like that's like a rescue's dream right like yeah. Hank is the dog like cool right like we're gonna find yeah. you right because not all dogs come out of the shelter that easy right where we're just like oh yeah, yeah they're good with people and dogs <laughs> well and it's fun you know so we had that good with people dogs kids 
after we got him home, there was some reactivity stuff that we had to work through. Mostly it's all frustration-based leash reactivity. And I've been working with him for a long time. Most of the time we just create space and just manage the situation. And if I need him to be more like with me and we can use a head halter if we're in an area with high traffic and he's great at it. We go hiking all over, off-leash dogs come up to us. He's fine with being approached by any dog because mostly he just wants that access. And so he's like, cool, you ran over. I can sniff you. Okay, okay, let's go romp around now and we're good so it's kind of it I have some flexibility that like I take into places where there are off-leash dogs and I know it's not going to be a problem which is really nice because he I mean he's intimidating if you don't know um but if we see people on leash then it's just like let's just make a little more space and he's good with that so you know you learn about things and again as he kind of reached that full maturity and got comfortable with himself and expressing his personality things came out but we do bring a lot of dogs through the house either for like temp fosters or friends dogs or anybody going out of town just throw them over here and Hank plays with them all beautifully big dogs smaller dogs it's it's really fun oh my god well and I think something that is important to highlight right is like yes right like was dog social is good with people, but that doesn't mean that he didn't need a lot of work and training up front. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. that that is something that's really hard as like the average adopter to wrap your mind around is like, yes, you can still get these baseline behaviors, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to be these other things that need attention. Right. Regardless if the dog is good with dogs or not, like all, every dog you bring into your life is going to need guidance. Right. Like it's not just going to, Okay. I will say some people get unicorn dogs, but that's like 1% of people that like just get a dog and they never have to do anything and they're fine. If you have that dog, appreciate them because you won't get it again. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Cause I mean, even Hank people friendliness was a lot of dog being very, very friendly with a lot of people that didn't necessarily want that much dog <laughs> jumping up and trying to lick their faces. So we had to work a lot on that to like back off. Like we're just going to like be chill and normal and And again, setting him up for success. So if we're having a big group of people over, a lot of times we use the crate or I have him on a leash attached to me and then he can say hello because he, again, all his stuff is frustration based. So it's like, well, he really wants to say hi to these people and he's just going to build frustration. So we can say hi and then go take a breather, reset, kind of take a breath and then go back and say hi again a little later. So I think all of it takes management. And I think just really meeting your dog where they're at is going to be best for success I think a lot of people get caught up in what the dog should be to them as opposed to just like but this is the dog you have and again you only have so much time with them so enjoy what you have oh my god yes okay and seriously everything you described about his greetings is Waylon to the T right like, <laughs> dude, you cannot launch yourself at people's faces when they come in the door like you can't do yeah. that I know you and Hank, I think so he's got like an extra like 10 pounds he's like 68 pounds so that's a lot of dog and it's solid muscle just coming and he can jump. We've seen those hops. So it's like, he just gets up to face level in an instant. It's like, that's a lot. People don't know that this pit bull jumping at their face is actually nice. And it's just really overly excited right now. Oh my God. Right. Exactly. Like I know the open mouth coming at your face is intimidating. I swear he doesn't want to bite you, but yeah. So how, how does your family and like your circle of friends, how did everybody receive Hank? Good. I think we broke them in with Boyd being like kind of a mutt mixture and then like eased them into like, this is like a full blown pity. Um, there's still a few people in the family that are a little intimidated. Like, why do you have that kind of dog? You know, but um, 
I think I've done a really good job just showing the positive side and kind of educating of like, this is what we've chosen. Like we want to help some of these dogs that maybe don't have as good of an opportunity or aren't the dog that could go to every home, you know? So we want to give them a home. Um, the community at large is pretty dang great. Like San Diego, we're in Southern California. There's a lot of pities around. Um, so it's pretty common that at least you're going to get something with a mixture of some sort of blocky headed dog. And then I think Hank's coloring and how handsome he is kind of works in our favor. I dress him up in cute bandanas so that it's kind of like, look, he's all like, just like silly and colorful. And he walks over, you know, he walks around with his flopping ears and his big smile on his face that most everybody, if they see us coming, I get a lot of smiles. I tend to go on the cautious side of like, I'll move and give people space because I know not everybody wants to interact with a large dog, regardless of the breed. So I kind of tend to like, let's just walk off the sidewalk and give this family a little room. Um, but I take him to Home Depot and we get stopped all along the way. Can I say hi? Can I say hi? And luckily, he's a really good greeter in those situations of like, he goes, he gets a little pet, he comes back and gets a treat. So it's like, okay, we've, we've mastered that greeting out in public. It's the uh, anybody coming over to the house that it's like, I want to be your friend and be on top of you. <laughs> oh my God. Hank and Waylon are the same dog, except for Hank weighs like 15 pounds more, but <laughs> yeah, that's, so think that's like that much more muscle. My <laughs> God. Okay. Seriously. And for everyone listening, Kate and I have messaged back and forth about like, you know, um, uh, battle scars from being drugged down by the long leash. Right. So seriously, kudos to you for being a badass for keeping yourself upright when you're attached to a 68 pound tank. Yeah, it's a lot. I, again, there's only been one big fall that it was like, and it was all my fault. Like I was trying to film him because I knew he was going to be doing some of his silly hops and we we're at an area where there's squirrels and he took off. And normally like in that area, I don't have it clipped to me. I just dropped the leash because it's safe. I know he can run and come run back to me. That's fine. And because I was filming, I think with the phone, my hand didn't say drop. I just kept holding on and I just, well, you know, right over. So that took a little recovery time. <laughs> right. And like, you know, just to kind of circle back to what you were saying about like, maybe the pit bull shouldn't go to every home. It's really true. Right. And like, you know, when you choose an athletic breed, right, especially an athletic strong breed, like Amstaff's American Pitbull Terriers, it requires a pretty high level of like exercise. And if you aren't super strong and you don't have the capacity to like get them out a ton, I'm not sure that's like a super great match. Yes, there are couch potato pities. I don't want to say that there aren't. I think yeah. obviously our perspective is a little skewed because we live with many bodybuilders, but yeah, right. Like they require yeah. a very high level of like strength and endurance on the human end too. Totally. And I think, I mean, I've seen some come through our rescue group that are the couch potato dogs. And these people like don't need to walk their dog. Their dog's happy to just like play in the yard a little bit and hang out and watch Netflix, which Hank is amazing at chilling. He's chilling right now for this interview, but he's had his exercise needs met and he's had his enrichment needs met. And if we don't meet those, like you can get away with a day where it's like, okay, we're really busy. We can just like play tug in the living room but you're not going to go two days without meeting his needs and like not know about it. And it's, it's great. He's not destructive in the house or anything, but he just will be up in your face about like, I need to go. We need to go play. We need to go sniff. And he's talkative about it. Um, he doesn't bark. He mostly like talks like little funny sounds right in your face. And so it's like, okay, I hear you, dude, we'll go. And so I really make enough time to get him out on the trails 
away from all the neighborhood and just like let him be himself. Oh my God. Okay. So can you just give the, the listeners an average of like how much you're hiking him like on a weekly basis? Oh gosh. It's like daily, like on work days, like just usually like two to three miles on those days. And again, he really thrives on time, like the decompression walk. So sometimes those are shorter mileage, but longer time because he will sniff for so long. Um, so you just got to like stand around and let him sniff. That's where I get my best videos. So I'm like, I've got nothing to do. I'm just going to take some video here while he stands in the same spot for five minutes sniffing. Um, but then on the weekends, we'll do like six or eight mile, you know, longer hike one day, or we'll go and like do some swimming or, you know, a little bit more activity on the weekends. Um, I will say back to decompression walks, every dog should get to have them I think regardless of what breed or anything small dogs big dogs all the dogs and also all the humans because it's really helped me learn to like slow down because we adopted Hank and he was two and he was go 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 and I'm kind of a go 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 person like I was a collegiate runner I ran cross country and track I like to be out and I like to be moving my body and so I would take him on these like hike jog adventures and then come home and he'd be crazier than before we left, you know? And it's like, oh wait, this isn't actually helping this dog. So spending the time letting him just be in nature as opposed to like, we're gonna run the seven mile loop right before work because I need you to sleep all day while I'm at work. That didn't work for him. Um, so I had to really learn. I've learned a lot, <laughs> I think, but I have had to really learn that like, there's different kinds of like mental stimulation, physical exertion, all the different boxes you kind of need to tick to have a more balanced life. And it's so true, right? Like running a dog to exhaustion isn't going to get the outcome that people think it will, right? And I think that there's still this like perpetuated a tired dog is a happy dog. Mm -hmm. And like, that couldn't be further from the truth. Like if all you're doing is running a dog and working them up, you'd be so surprised how wound they can stay and for how long, right? Well, like and he's such an athlete that he was just getting fitter and fitter. So then I'd have to just take him further and further. And it's like, I don't have enough hours in the week to like run you this far. And you're not really supposed to be like a runner. Like you're like stocky and short nose. So we kind of shifted our whole mindset and, um, yeah, I mean, I have old posts that are tagged, like a tired dog is a happy dog. That's what's like in the culture. And I believe that. And it's like, now I'm much more on the end of things of like a mentally enriched dog is a happy dog or a dog whose needs are met is a happy dog. <laughs> so, yeah, no. And it's so true. Right. And I think, you know, it, it's a really important balance to strike is that like, yes, they do need to like full on run and do that stuff. Right. Like they mm -hmm. do that, but it's so much more than that. And I love how he taught you to slow down. I feel that on such a deep level because like Waylon taught me that thing too, right? The like, who cares if he sniffs for five minutes? Like, yeah. why does that matter? Right? Like, why can't he just sniff for five minutes? Like if that's going to totally. live, that fills his cup. Cool. All right. I'm going to stand. I'm going to look around. I'm going to take things in that maybe I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Oh, I love hearing the birds and, you know, it's just like, I've learned to like use it as my meditation time to just like take those deep breaths and listen to nature. And like, I mean, I've always enjoyed hiking and being out in nature. So it's like forcing me to slow down and actually enjoy more of it. So it's pretty awesome. They teach us so much. We don't deserve them. I think that's the moral <laughs> of the story, but they grace us anyways. Okay. So, um, did you know about like positive reinforcement training? prior to Hank? 
So I yeah, definitely knew about training with treat, you know, on the positive end of things to get uh, desired results. And I did not know about positive reinforcement training as like a full philosophy and all the things. Um, again, we've been on this like long training journey. We've worked with different people from different walks of training and have definitely landed the last couple of years. It was like, I think officially like November of 2018 that it was like, okay, we're switching to like all positive. Like this dog is too happy and too goofy to do anything else to him, you know? So we, again, a lot of learning. I've read a lot of books, listened to a lot of seminars. Um, I still have like a huge stack of books, like every like Christmas or birthday, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like this one and this one. And these are like classic books, but it's like, I just can't get enough. I just need to keep reading and learning. And I think it'll be a lifelong journey. I say I've learned so much with Hank that like any future dog is really going to have a huge advantage because I've had to like, really dig through things and learn um but it's it's so much fun like his like I always say like the train for joy idea of like his like whip around run towards me for like a recall with just this like huge smile and like I mean again the ears are just flapping in the wind and it's just I wouldn't trade it like it's just so great so um it's been great. One of our friends we met through Instagram is Danny with the lovables. And those are his two best friend girls that we hike with all the time. So they pop up in our feed a lot. And she was like a year ahead of me in their positive reinforcement journey when we met. And so having that support of like, this really works. And we don't need to be worried about so much about like perfect healing and, and like walking behind you on the trail rather than like being in front of you. Who cares? Like it's been great to have them as like a support system. And all of the dogs were like labeled something different. One's like people, you know, fearful. The other one's dog reactive. Hank is just like overstimulated and they are the three best friend dogs ever they bump into each other. They like just have, because we just took things slowly, did parallel walks and the seeing them have fun together is like one of the greatest things that I try to tell everybody about parallel walks. Even if your dog doesn't like dogs, you can do it. They can become friends <laughs> and like, just give it time. It doesn't happen overnight. And it's been great. Oh my God. And I think that having, um, that support system, right. And like, I think, initially when you start positive reinforcement training, right. And like following like the whole philosophy of it. Right. Like, I think that it does get a little overwhelming just because of like the outside influences, right. Like, you know, comments from family members of like, why are you just shoveling food in their mouth? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, maybe the dog needs to do this or that. And like, I think that the unlearning of like the, the quintessential dog and like what that looks like. Like, I think that's something that we all internalize whether we thought we did or not. And it just mm -hmm. takes time to unlearn that. And I think that when you have like a silly blocky headed dog, I think that it just gets a little bit easier because you're like, I'm, I'm not going to suppress this joy. So how do I get what I need without suppressing that joy? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you find that balance and you start to see like the progress and like the quote unquote results, Oh my gosh. That like dopamine hit for me when like I call the dogs and they come like joyfully running to me, like, whoo, that is an it's unparalleled so joy for me. Yeah. Yeah. I will say is, yeah, it's, it's interesting to just sort of change that mindset and it's, it's hard, but it's also like, 
yeah because I think I get a lot of the like well positive is permissive and I think maybe I swung a little far that direction at first when I was like figuring it out because it's like I don't have timing these are not skills I had I am not a dog trainer I'm not trained to be a dog trainer I don't plan to be a dog trainer but I would like to train with my dog and have us like have this connection through our training and like to build that bond and so I think then swinging more towards like okay no positive reinforcement while it is using food and a lot of instances there's a method to the madness and it's like there's you're doing specific things and with the counter conditioning and the desensitization it's not just here's a bunch of food you know hope you'll be good for me you know so again I think I'm still learning I will probably be learning for the next 10 years but um we're getting there yeah and I think you know I think that it opens this this desire, right? And then you start learning and reading and getting more books and understanding like the science behind how and why it works. And I think that that's like so empowering, right? And I think it makes it easier to like shake off like the judgment from people who don't get it, right? Mm -hmm. And who don't understand. And I think, you know, there is a certain degree of pressure, right? Like societal pressure. And I know that San Diego is like, really welcoming of the pit bulls, which is so amazing. But, you know, there are still the haters out there. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, we internalize this, like we have this walkie headed dog and we want to do the best we can to help people understand how amazing they are. Oh, definitely. And it's, you know, you just got to stay away from like next door and comments and stuff because there are still haters and I just don't, I don't engage with those people. I don't have time for that. Um, And I think I did like at first, you know, we adopted this dog who's people friendly, you know, good with kids, good with other dogs. And I was like, I'm going to have a pit bull advocate dog and we are going to go do all the things. And everybody's going to know that like pit bulls are wonderful and amazing. And he's going to be perfect. Well, then it's like, no, that's not Hank. And he doesn't want to do all those things. And he doesn't want to go sit at a coffee shop, which neither do I, we like to go and do things. So, you know, over four years, like learning together and realizing that like, I don't need to be an advocate for the entire breed. That's not a weight that needs to be on my shoulders. I need to advocate for my one dog. And so I try my best to set him up for success. I am amazing at like telling strangers, like, yes, you can say hi, but don't lean over and he'll jump in your face. I'm not as good at it with like closer friends or family. It's still something I am learning to work on. I'm like, okay, but now I've, I've learned, you know, let's do things differently. And it's actually better if we meet you out in the driveway and you can say hi first before you come inside. And sometimes I'm good about like, let's do it that way. Or like go for a walk around the block so he can like settle in. And sometimes it's like, well, let's just try. And then it doesn't go well. (laughs) So I think learning to advocate both individually for your dog is and I think if everybody did that for their individual dog then the breed as a whole gets advocated for and it's like nobody needs to take on this responsibility of the entire breed it's too much they're too complex they're all such individuals like we have our couch potatoes we have the little pocket pitties which are different than this like 68 pound giant bag of muscles like and so I think just again, embracing what dog you have and advocating for them is way more important to me than what I thought at the beginning of getting, adopting like a full pit bull type dog. Yeah. Right. And I seriously, I couldn't agree with you anymore. And like, I think that everyone listening who loves pit bulls, owns pit bulls, they feel that right. Like we have this innate sense of like, we want to show the world and we want them to understand, but like, 
who freaking cares about the world, right? Like you and the dog are what matters, right? Like that yeah. is what matters. Making sure that like we're meeting our dogs where they are. They don't know that they're pit bulls, right? Like, right? No. They're, just, they're just big old goops. Oh my God. Totally. Okay, so I, w- I want to hear a little bit more about what you're doing with the rescue now. I, I love yeah. so much that you adopted and now you're like part of the organization. That's so cool. I will say I'm like on the outskirts. I just volunteer. There are amazing rock star people who run everything um, just because of life and time. I do mainly I'll jump in when they need like a transport of like a dog from one side of town to the other. I can pick up a dog and drive him across town um, or sometimes just supplies. Like, honestly, like they just need crates or medicine moved from like the main like director's house to one of the fosters. And so, you know, they need people and bodies to move those things. So I can do that sort of thing. Um, Pre-COVID times, we did more like temp fostering. So if the fosters went out of town, which nobody does anymore, (laughs) um, we'd take in a dog for like the weekend or that sort of thing. Or, you know, I could do some of the adoption events, like offer to pick up the dog for the foster, take them to an event for the weekend or like for, you know, the Sunday and then take them back to their foster. That was always really, really fun to interact with the public that way. But again, not since COVID. Um, so we're kind of pausing on that. So mostly now I just, you know, try to support, we do an annual fundraiser for them with Hank for his adoptiversary. Um, so it's first year we did like a pack or the first two years we did like a pack hike um, with some other dogs from the rescue and just other friends dogs um last year was it was his adoptiversaries in the end of april so covid was already happening so we just did a virtual hike oh my god i loved your virtual hike so much yes all the little dogs on sticks came with us and my sweet husband like helped like video tape all of it and like take pictures of hank and i and put it all together for us it was awesome so we'll be doing a fundraiser again in april this year we'll see what format probably virtual again I don't see things changing that quickly um but it's you know it's fun to just support them to say it's sort of our way of saying like thanks for saving this wonderful dog and making him part of our life again my life has changed because of Hank and I my boy dog was my soul pup and I loved him and we gave him a wonderful life but Hank has forced me to grow as a person and to learn so much more. And so I am grateful for that. And I'm, like I said, I'm still learning some of these things. I'm not there yet. (laughs) And I don't think you really ever are is what I'm learning more and more as I get older. Like, yeah, people who are like 45 still don't know what they're doing. And when you're 60, you still don't really know what you're doing. You're still learning. So, but I'm grateful that Hank sort of sent me on this journey and that we've met so many wonderful people I think because of his silly goofiness on Instagram we've met some really really great people through that oh my god that's so cool and like those are the best dogs that force us like hey you need to grow and evolve as a person and I'm gonna help you do that like okay all right I yeah, think th- thanks a that. lot dog yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god it's like you know we humans we just are so egocentric and dogs are so freaking good about like nope <laughs> yes, we're, and just like centering and it's like the simplest thing of like Hank thrives on routine which I think most dogs thrive on routine and for him it doesn't matter the exact time so he's not a dog that's like it's 6 a.m you must walk me now it's more just like the order of events need to like take place in somewhat of the same order on a daily basis and then we're good and I think that's good for us humans to do as well so I think dogs just kind of force us to be better versions of ourselves 
Oh my God, wholeheartedly agree with that. Okay, so um, I, I want to hear what is your least favorite pit bull myth? I, I thought about this one because it's kind of like all of them, but um, I really think that it's all in how you raise them pit bull myth because I think it does a disservice on both sides of the equation. Uh, our first dog Boyd was very, very shy. He was scared of the world. We got him at eight weeks old and gave him a beautiful, wonderful life full of love and enrichment. And he got to meet people and go places. And he was still just like, I am scared. And I have a small group of friends and I just want to walk the same neighborhood loop and not go on adventures. And so we respected that. And we gave him, I think the best life he could in our nurturing, but there was an aspect of nature that was just there. And again, maybe with what I know now, I could have helped him overcome some of those things. But I also think that was just who he was. And then you get other dogs on the other side of the equation that are in horrific situations. And they come out the most loving, wonderful dogs ever. So clearly their genetics played a role, not how they were raised, because how they were raised was terrible. And they get adopted at, you know, adults and survivors of dog fighting things. And they're wonderful dogs. So it's like both sides of the equation. It doesn't, it's just a dumb saying. It's not true. And I just wish it would go away. Um, I think it makes people helpful. feel bad. No, it's not helpful. It makes people feel guilty on either side of like, well, but I have this dog that I've like treated really well and it's not very social. And it's like, that's not your fault. That's somewhat of genetics and you can still give them a really good, wonderfully managed life that they will love and enjoy. And so I, I just, yeah, that one drives me absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting because it was well-intentioned, right? Like yeah. the intention yeah. was to help the public understand that like, you know, you could quote unquote, raise them to be great dogs. Right. But then, mm -hmm. you know, we all realize the reality of like, it's not just one thing. It's not yeah. It's, it's all the things, things that play. Right. Yeah. For all of the dogs and like some dogs are just genetically more resilient. Some dogs are just not genetically resilient. Right. And like, I, I, I think that we, we always have to move away from statements that cause undue shame to well-meaning owners. Totally. Because a lot of people, do. they are doing the best that they can. And so making them feel bad, how does that help? Like we're not helping. Oh my God. So, like, yeah. yeah, I agree. It's not all in how you raise them, ladies and gentlemen. Oh my God. No, okay. So, I mean, I, I, again, that's part of it. It's part of it, but that's not the whole story. Oh my gosh. Right. Um, yeah. And like so much of my work, right. Like working with behavior cases, re reactivity and aggression and stuff like that is just really compassionately helping my clients understand that like, they're not at fault for what's happening. Totally. Right. And that's so important because if you carry shame about something that is not going to serve you in changing outcomes of the dog's behavior, right? Like, yeah. So to all of you who have blocky headed dogs, maybe who have some serious behavior problems, remind yourself, right? Like it's, it's not because you raised them wrong. There's a lot more mm -hmm. stuff at play and get qualified help if you need it. Okay. So Kate, can you tell the listeners how they can connect with you on Instagram? Yes. Our Instagram account is all period about period Hank, because my husband came up with it. It is all about Hank. Basically yes. our whole lives are all about Hank. <laughs> So you can have fun. I um, just put together some story highlights of his stomps and his hops. So there's some other ones too, but if you need them all in one place, there's some really good ones there. Oh God, did you make a bubble video highlight too? 
It's in the hops, I think, because he's mostly like hopping for the bubbles. Thank I know. goodness. Okay, everyone listening, you need to check out those those stories. I'm telling you, it's going to give you unbridled joy and you're not <laughs> going to regret it. Kate, it is a total delight. Thank you for being an amazing human and giving Hank just a kick-ass life. Oh, thank you for everything you do and spreading the news that these are great dogs and we can all love them just exactly as they are. Yes, yes, we can. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can connect with me for training, you can go to my website, agfdogtraining.com. If you'd like more training inspiration and insight, you can follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. If you'd like to become a member and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash disorderly dogs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out out on any future episodes. And if you really like this podcast and you want to go above and beyond for me, you could leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts to help more like-minded individuals find us.